0: Now here is your host. What's up everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in on this Wednesday, June 3rd. I finally can remember the date. At the end of May, I had no idea what day it was, but I'm very excited a amazing chef, great thinker, a friend, Caroline Glover, who's chef owner of a net scratch to table restaurant in Aurora, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Caroline, you're you're opening up right now, so I appreciate you taking some time.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sitting on the patio, which will hopefully host people tonight.
0: I mean, let's before we even get into your story, right there. What does that feel like for you to be able to host people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, I didn't sleep very well last night. I definitely have a lot of emotions. Um, I'm somebody who carries it in my stomach, so I've just kind of it's been churning. For the past forty-eight hours, Um, it's it's super exciting, um, but it's also it comes with a lot of weight too. And this is our first time, you know, doing this, and and I think we feel comfortable and we've come up with a good system. But um, you know, you never know. (laughs) Here we go.
0: You never know, and nobody knows. There's no there's no like uh, precedent. There's no playbook to look at for this. Uh, That I'm excited for the notion. I can just. Imagine knowing how important hospitality is to you personally to your team fuck like getting people into your space again and at the same time there's going to be awkwardness like you just know the masks and all of it people are not going to know what to do with their hands like so you know it's going to take a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of communication which are two things i'm not concerned with you about at all so let's take people back to the beginning where, where are you from, Caroline, and give us kind of uh, uh, some tidbits into, like, why and how you made your way into culinary.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm from College Station, Texas, which not many people know of, but Texas A&M mm-hmm. is there.
0: Yeah, I was about um, to say, if you're in the college sports, you know, but that's about it. No,
1: yeah, that's about it. Um, and I, I went to college for three two years. Um, I went to college in Fort Worth at Texas Christian University, and it just didn't... Um, I just wasn't into it. Um, it wasn't right for me. And so I moved to Yosemite National Park and worked at the Yawani Hotel and um, Percy Watley um, was in charge there. And I still think he is. And um, he he inter- he was one of the most incredible humans i've ever worked for um we didn't really have that crazy i mean there was a brigade system there was a union there was all of this um all these things at the awani hotel but i didn't really feel the culture of the kitchen necessarily um he he just took care of all of us and um i've I've really never worked for somebody like that again so he he was a pretty incredible person to work for and um I met some guys out there that went to the Culinary Institute of America. They were on their externship, and I followed them back to Hyde Park. And I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, Um, and then I got a job with April Bloomfield at the Spotted Pig right out of school, um, which is probably the biggest. um, um, She formed me and my restaurant and my thoughts on food, and it has stuck with me forever. And um, yeah. you know, I, there's a lot oh, of yeah. bad things surrounding the spotted pig, and but sure. to me, the memories of it are um, formative. Um, really, it was, an, it was an incredible time. Um, hard, but I learned to love food in a way that I never knew you could think and love food. Um, watching April Cook was amazing. Um, I got burnt out, I farmed, I met my future husband, and um, ended up back in uh, Colorado, by the way of Paonia, then Carbondale, farming and cooking, and then came to Denver, and I started working at Acorn um, under Amos and Steve, um, and I was there for almost three years, and um, learned wow, how to farm water. Yeah.
0: Amazing. So- uh, I'm interested in cooking with April and stuff. And like you said, so many iconic things happening there. There was a lot of turmoil happening there, but what restaurant does not have drama and turmoil? For you, it's your personal experience. And I think about what's happening right now. There's a lot of turmoil in a lot of different ways right now. Our personal experience and our nuance within like our truth is important. So for you, your truth was so formative. Also working for such a strong and iconic Woman running a restaurant like that—that's at the highest level. The boys' club, all of that—that that plays into it. Did that play into kind of the restaurant that you're you're leading now? The way that you thought about what was possible in a restaurant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think. Hi, Lon. We'll see you tonight. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. People. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it absolutely did. I mean, I think it, it did in a, a few different ways. It did in the culture that I wanted, adding that, Um, but also in the way that I cooked. You know, you take the good and the bad and you learn from it. And I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of good. I also learned what I wanted a restaurant or a workplace to feel like, um, and a little bit more unified than, than it was there, and really any restaurant um, 10 years ago back versus that.
0: so yep. uh, yeah a lot of that front of house back of house morning guy versus night guy all that all that uh camaraderie and competition and bruised animosity sometimes for sure so yeah.
1: yeah
0: when you're thinking about annette and you started this restaurant you, you went without things very differently pretty counter to probably anything that you had had worked in before or seen models of before So let's give people a little bit of of setting the table. What about Annette is different from the way that you've structured your teams, your finances, and some of those, give us some of the high level of what it is that Annette does that's very different in the industry.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think the the very first thing I set out to do is I wanted everybody to make the same pay, um, all my hourly guys. And so I made the decision from day one to split tips evenly. with front, back, support, lead, whatever, um, bartenders, anybody but management, basically. Um, And the way we were able to legally do that is to pay everybody untipped minimum wage, um, which I believe is 12.30 an hour, something like that now. Um, So everybody makes that base pay and then um, it's a full split of the tips. Um, When we were open for lunch, we split all, all day. Same with brunch, we split all day. Um, and I didn't, I mean, that just felt right to me. I didn't, I didn't realize that it may cause, um, some friction, which it did in the beginning. Sure. Um, you know, Changes my-
0: heart, especially in our industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I just didn't, I like didn't even cross my mind. I just thought, you know, our restaurant's so small that my host is just as important as my bartender. If my host isn't welcoming people and and seeing the whole floor and fitting people in and, you know, doing their job as effectively and efficiently as they can, then my servers aren't going to have tables, you know, and they're not going to get two turns on a table or three turns. Um so i just i felt like there's a, there's an ecosystem and I, every single person plays a part in it um and that's what i'm looking for for our team if you're somebody that comes on our team and you're not pulling your weight i'm not gonna fire you my my team's gonna kick you out like it's 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 all or nothing you know it's um if you aren't here for the right reasons i have a team that is here for the right reasons and they really hold us accountable um and they hold my new hires accountable it's not just me and i think when you are sharing tips like that it does give everybody a if they feel like they have a voice you know if somebody's not pulling their weight they're gonna speak up um and so that's a little doggy dog, but it, that it is what it is. You know, everybody wants to make sure that everybody's pulling their weight. Um, yeah. so that it was just awesome.
0: occur to me listening to you. One is are the most talented people then not going to want to come work for you because you, you eat what you kill is like part of the mentality, especially in front of house when, you know, one server may be making $114 and somebody else may be making $472. And the $472 is doing that because they're the best. Right. And so I'm interested in that. So maybe I could address that a little bit. Was that important? Did you figure out how did that play into it? Cause I'm sure there was some attrition as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was, that's been a really big part of um, you know, why people are saying like, I don't think this will work for my restaurant because you know, I have these servers who are really know what they're doing. They're selling everything. Um, but for us, we move everybody around in positions. So if you're a server, that's not the only job you do. You also host. You also back weight. If you're a very, very strong server and your sales show it and and guests love you, then you're serving on those Friday, Saturday nights, or um, you get more hours. You're the opening server, and you get to choose if you want to be the closing server. There's just you get a little bit more say in your schedule, um, basically, when when you are when you're one of our best um, employees.
0: So there is still upward mobility because that was that was part of the question, too, then is like, it can somebody ascend or once you're in, you're in and then there's no motivation. So that's one of the ways that you're motivating. How else are you thinking about motivating the team, keep them focused since, you know, I mean, selfish motivation is a strong motivation, money and security. And it's a big motivation. Like it'd be obviously, you know, that and you've thought about that a lot. So how are you managing that aspect?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before um, minimum wage started going up um, on a a yearly basis, and I guess, I mean, we still kind of do this. Some of our lead servers get a dollar more an hour on their base pay. Um, And then also education, you know, I think um we constantly are holding wine classes or tours or asking people what do they want to learn about and um and making sure that we're engaging everybody in that so if you hosted 3 days of the week last week you know you're still a part of that you're still learning and um yeah i mean absolutely i think For us, we've found that giving, letting people kind of choose their hours, um, if they want to do a double on Saturday because they need more money and they're really strong, then they're getting the double on Saturday. Um, It's just a crazy, it's communication, right? Like what a a novel idea to communicate and listen and let people tell you what they need and want, yeah.
0: One of the other things that I thought was interesting, actually, I'll get back to that, because what you just said kind of struck me a little bit, too. You've talked about your team. There's small team knowing your restaurant. Do you think that this model scales? Have you thought about that at all when you're like, how big could one restaurant get? Could we have multiple restaurants? Have you thought about scale at all?
1: absolutely and that is where I get stuck I, I don't know what scale looks like I know this works because I work here every single day I know this works because my husband's here every single day so we are pulling our weight with the the, the tip pull basically you know it's important that we are working as much as we are so the tips get you know more evenly distributed so you know right. when I when I talk to people who aren't at the, I mean, yeah, I don't know how this would work without us being here every single day. And that's a huge flaw. Um, And that is something that I, we need to look into. I mean, as of right now, you know, when the pandemic hit, like I can't, I don't ever see a day where I'm not gonna be here. (laughs) Like it's just, it doesn't feel real. But I also recognize that um, we can't be here every single day for the rest of our lives. I don't think so. so that that's really our next we need to look further um you know we're three and a half years old and i feel like we've just had our head down and we've just been grinding and going at it and now now we need to start looking up and and saying is this sustainable is this viable um could we do other things um i'm one i'm a stickler like i don't want to do anything else like this is my baby and you know when people say don't you want to open other places it's like absolutely i don't um but with this pandemic seeing if not being diversified hurts, Um, you know, that this is my only source of income. Um, It's making me recognize that maybe I should say yes to more opportunities, Um, but how do I do that while keeping this? I don't know. Yeah, well,
0: I, I wanna get back to that point because I think talking about resources is an interesting concept that I think you and I are gonna talk a lot more about, but I wanna go back to the team. If you're not pulling your weight, They'll fucking come after you. Right. And I'm interested in that. As it feels like at a moment when it's working right, it's a strength. And so I want to let you address that. I also see the opportunity for it to get very clicky. And then all of a sudden there's alphas who are like personally trying to dominate somebody else. And like they're not actually a bad server, but they convince everyone else that they are, you know, that kind of like middle school drama politics that we in the industry are pretty bad about. Pretty bad.
1: Totally. I would say my first like year and a half, we had a huge issue with that. And I think it was also just opening a new restaurant. Um, I don't. I mean, I know people know I was the owner, but I was like in it, you know, I, I was a part of the crew, you know, and, um, and I wasn't good at pulling myself out and and seeing who, who was the bully, who was teaming up on who was this um, necessary. I just I was I was too thick in it. Um, and so we had a big meeting with our opening crew when it got bad. I mean, it got clicky people were throwing people under the bus, you know, yeah. just constantly calling each other out. And we all sat down and, and said, fucking stop. Um, if there's an issue, right now, say it because you're saying it to everybody else. And so we just, we called everybody out and it was a really hard meeting. Um, but I think now I've gotten a little bit better at curating what we're looking for at Annette. Um, and you can feel it when you do interviews. I sit in in every single interview I sit in with front of the house, I sit in with back of the house, everything. Um, because I am the mama bear, I am the mama of the ship. And so if I don't feel like they're going to jive with us, I don't care what your resume says. If you come in with an attitude or I just feel like, you know what, I just don't think you're gonna jive with this crew. It's just, it's not worth it. Um, and so I think we, before this pandemic happened, we just had a really incredible crew. We had super, you know, experienced people, very green people, but everybody really on the same page. Um, and I, I really wasn't dealing with anybody telling on each other or calling each other out. Um, I think I just started hiring kinder people, um, people that, you um, exuded um you know they wanted to teach um the the greener people and the greener people wanted to learn and you just have to find the right fit it just it's a puzzle and it's um we found it for a minute and that was a beautiful thing
0: do you find yourself now needing to be interestingly less the mama bear in that scenario because the rest of your team are so quick to like cut out cancer they're so quick to like pick somebody up all of the dynamics that you've been trying to build that yeah. they now do before you even have to say anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you have the right crew, you don't have to be involved in it, you know? And, and 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 yes, you're involved in it, but like in the nitty-gritty, he said, she said, and um, you know, I can feel it. I can feel when somebody's not being nice to somebody in my restaurant and it's on purpose or um they're they're trying to gang up on each other. I can feel that. They you, it's a small place, and, um, and but whenever that's not happening, it's beautiful because I get to focus on cooking, and I get to focus on my kitchen and the guests, and it's just like this machine that just goes, and um, it's it is a good feeling.
0: Love it. So I want to... I want to do something interesting because uh, you are finalists. Congratulations for a James Beard Award best chef, Mountain, uh, and Dana Rodriguez, Carrie Baird, uh, strong crew and strong like female leadership in Denver specifically, uh, is it's palpable. You can definitely feel it and tell. And then Kelly Whitaker as well, and Bobby and the team at Frasca, like really strong operators. Uh, one of our friends, Josh Nuremberg, was a semifinalist. And I've said multiple times that he is my favorite chef and operator. And his restaurant is so brilliant because if it was in Denver, it'd be like a top five restaurant. And he's done it in Grand Junction. And we also kind of were like, does it matter that he wasn't a finalist? Was part of our conversation that he and I had was because we also feel like I want people in L.A., and New York, in our industry who are like, living with 17 people in a walk-up studio apartment just to survive, to be in the industry, to go, I can move to Grand Junction or Denver even and work for a James Beard award-winning chef. Like, it could shift the industry a little bit. And so I'm laying that groundwork because I'm interested in your model of restaurants. Like, your food, it's fucking amazing. Like, there's zero doubt about it. Your hospitality, when you're in there, you feel a sense of place, absolutely. And that is deserving enough of an award nomination and or a win. However, what you're doing from a business standpoint, from developing your team, it's like, how do we get kindness, to your point, to be part of the equation on who is seen as the best in the business? I don't know if there's a question there, but I wanted to just throw that out and allow you to reflect on that, because I'm sure you've thought about that yourself, knowing you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like our pay model starts the groundwork for that um our pay model doesn't bring in necessarily the the divas the the people who want you know to sell the most and, you know, crush everybody in the ground. I mean, obviously, that's a good I want as a business owner. That's you want that. You know, you want people selling things. But I do think our model makes people think a bit more. And maybe it's a bit more forward thinking, um, just realizing that maybe not forever you're going to be making $50 an hour, you know, like that's I I don't know. I don't think that that's a sustainable model, um, which is why we started ours. But I definitely think that um, doing equal pay just brings a different type of crowd in our door to to apply here.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what I'm excited about is like when somebody goes to your restaurant and and having the open kitchen the way that you do. And when I think about who's nominating for James Beard or Michelin stars or Zagat, like any of those things, like one of the things I'm fascinated in is can people feel not the level of just pure like hospitality or service and food, but feel the energy of the room, feel the energy of the team. Is there value? Can you quantify or qualify that to have that become a part of the the equation? Because if it does, all of a sudden people are going to go, wait a minute, I'm more likely to win an award that is like the prestige in our industry because we preach and follow kindness how fucking cool would that be? Carolyn, how do we do that? Because it feels like you're doing that just intrinsically, but I really want that to become such an industry standard. Any
1: thoughts on that? Gosh, I mean, for people right. to keep helping, like, you know, it's uh, funny. We, we, I feel like the majority of our guest space understands what we're doing without us having to say, you know, they see us working as a team. They see it. They see my kitchen watching everything. They see, you know, if uh, a If we don't have a back weight that night my hosts will water you and they get it and they love it and then there's a really small percentage that's like that was confusing who's my server who's taking care of me and um and so i feel like it's educating those people saying you know we're a team we're we're a system here i you know there's there's a lot of things ingrained in restaurants, right? Like there's a lot of archaic ideas and, um, and the way that we should operate. So I feel like the more that we're transparent and and let people know what we're doing, the more they'll understand it, the beautiful thing is most people feel it, and and they don't beautiful. know why. Yeah, they're like, I don't know why that experience was so lovely, but it was. And in my mind, it's like, because you were so well taken care of. Every single person in my restaurant that was working was also working towards one goal for you to have a great experience. And that's different than right. just one person working towards it, you know?
0: So, so I could not love what you're saying anymore, talking about how they just feel it. Right. And that's not on accident. That is very much thoughtfully curated by design, by everything that you've done, everything that we've talked about, and the way that you're organizing your restaurant. I think about this in your restaurant, and then just thinking about James Beard, uh, also thinking about Kelly Whitaker, I think specifically for Wolf's Taylor. But I remember, and I tell people all the time about an experience five, six, seven years ago, maybe at Master, where there was, we were there was Sunday night, Betsy and I, and I remember some other people anyway there were seven people on the floor and all seven people touched our table at some point. And I made a point, I like was like, did you just see that? Like I was waiting, we we're like 10 minutes from leaving and that we had gotten six. And then the seventh person came over, I was like, they fucking did it. And it was yeah. like talking about, like I had been waiting for that moment and everyone was like, you're a nut. You just screamed in the middle of the restaurant. <laughs> Having been to your restaurant as well, it was the same kind of thing where like, it just was this flow. It was always what I needed, not the fun, not the structure of where your section is type scenario. And so, right, right. how do you keep that going? Because it's easy for people to like say, "Oh, what's your section?" It's the whole restaurant, ha ha ha, like as this yeah. Yeah. thing that we say. But how do you do it in process?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it can get it can get hard. hard. You know, like yeah. there are times where I had servers be like, "I'm confused. Who's touched my table? I don't want to. You know, we don't want it to be touched too much." But what it came down to was just talking to each other. I mean, it's crazy how much you don't talk to each other, right? Like in the middle of service. Um, and so it was like, look up. If you touch that table, just go let the server know. Or, you know, if, I mean, my kitchen will jump out, you know, if they see that somebody Man. needs work, my, my, my saute cook, my my garm cook will jump out, go get a fork and put it on the table, and just walk right back because they also want the person to have a great experience. Because if they have a good experience, they tip well and they they make more money. Um, so it was. I mean, you have to put ego aside in this in this scenario. Like it's. There's no, there's no prima donna. It's, there's no room for it. You have to communicate and you have to want to all be working towards the same goal. And that's hard to do. Um, but when you get the right crew to do it, um, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Oh, Sophie, make sure we quote Caroline there with the kitchen jumps out. So important. I, I'm gonna lay down this this will be the last thing because i'm interested and I, i'm pretty sure that this happens and has happened in your restaurant i remember the tag restaurant days when we first started the open kitchen the long dining room and the bathroom downstairs down an elevator downstairs and people would walk back with this clumsy lost look they'd walk into the kitchen all the time would walk all the way to the back line of the kitchen before they realized they were not going to the bathroom and cooks <laughs> would like gawk at them and, and be like this this fucking idiot over here i was like you know what You, the second you see somebody walking towards the kitchen with that deer in the headlight looked, you go from your station, and you run to the dining room, and you walk them all the way to the elevator, and you push the elevator button for them, and you thank them for being here tonight. And that became a part of the culture. Then we created competition, because we love competition, and they would start to be like, who could be the first person to get to the person to walk them to the stairs? Because they know, I don't care how well you made that miso cod, I care how much you spent time. Interacting with our guests, your bathrooms are out of your building. Practically, you got to walk down because you're in the Stanley Marketplace. You're in a shared uh, space there, multi-unit type scenario, kind of food hall-ish type thing. Trying to awkwardly set the table for people, have your team and or your kitchen specifically walk people to the restroom out your guys's door down the hall.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it. absolutely. I, knew it. I mean that every. Anytime somebody looks like they're confused or wandering around, whoever is next to them is responsible. And if my if my gardener sees it happening and she can't get down there, she'll be like, be hey Caroline, they don't know what they're doing. Can you help them out? And it's like, yes, thank you. It's an extra pair of eyes.
0: I love it. That was it. We're, we're ending this show with a trip to the bathroom, the weirdest place we could possibly end, <laughs> but it matters. It so matters, that moment. I bet as a chef, as an owner, as a human, when somebody says our guest needs the restroom and like calls upon somebody else or is doing anything they can for that moment, it's the single most important way that we can interact with people in a restaurant. I truly believe that. I know you do as well. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited for what's happening with you from a business standpoint. Again, congrats on the nomination. I know that that means a lot because it is not you, it's your team and you really embody that. And uh, it's gonna be good to see what's gonna happen next coming out of this, even though it's scary, but I'm excited that people are gonna be on that patio. Please take a picture. Actually, will you do this for me? Take a picture yes, and share sure. it back into the comments of, of this video because I want people to see that because I think it's important.
1: Absolutely, I will happily do that.
0: All right, Carolyn, have a great service. It feels really good to tell you that. Have a great service today. Thank
1: you. Thank you. We're very excited.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast.
1: Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.